podcast here, cranking through the month of August. Well inside now, 100 days till college basketball. Um, we are we are too early for preview season, but not too early to start thinking about preview season, Brad. But the college sports calendar does not slow down because you've had a lot of changes here in recent days with realignment. So we'll dish on that to a certain extent. Folks, I know that you have plenty of sources to get realignment news and do not expect either Brad or I to have forcing of where this is going, but I think I do at least have enough of a feel for the landscape that I'm happy to dish on some things, help a college basketball fan kind of understand where we are and where we're going. Uh, and we'll also talk about some some kind of early previewy takeaways that we've had. You know, Brad's been working on his top 100 players. I've been doing some stuff with um, some, some standings projections and some teams that are like, oh God, that team might actually be really bad. Uh, things like that. So excited for that. We'll get we'll get into it here, Brad. Um, first off, realignment. Um, last week, I think we kind of gave like a footnote description at the end of the pod. Like, yeah, by the way, Colorado's leaving. That might move Arizona. That might move everybody else. That might you know screw things up at the Pac-12. Well, all of that has happened. So if you are a under the rock college basketball fan and you just listen to us, and we appreciate you if you do. Um, also, we appreciate everyone who showed so much love to the Transfer Portal um, Hall of Fame pod. Everyone loved that. Got a lot of really good feedback there. Um, but as we were, as I was saying, excuse me, um, the realignment stuff. So the new Big 12 members, up to 16 teams is this league. That is the quote-unquote four corners of the Pac-12. That is Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, and Colorado. Uh, and then the Big Ten delivering the fatal blow to the to the Pac-12, taking Oregon and Washington, moves that league up to 18 teams. The Big 12 is now at 16. The Pac-12 is down to four, those being Stanford, Cal, Oregon State, and Washington State, excuse me. Um, those teams now in flux, the American potentially interested, the Mountain West potentially interested, the ACC Digging around, there's been reports of San Diego State trying to form its own West Coast conference. There's been um, ACC expansion talk now. So everyone's attempting to kind of reevaluate where they stand in the wake of this. But Brad, I guess if you have any 30,000 foot takeaways or thoughts, questions uh, about realignment, you can kind of serve as our, our average listener on these realignment conversations and I can I can bounce off what my perception is as someone who has at least a small feel for for how the business of this works. Okay, so we'll start with this. Okay. I don't think that it's going to end up being a good move that these conferences have added teams that don't add value to the TV contract. Right? Like the Big 12 had like a carve out where like they can add all the Pac-12 schools they want and they'll get the same Pro rata, yes. Right, look at the same, the thir- 31 million or whatever it is. They could add Colorado, they can add Stanford, they can add Florida, they could add Alabama, and they'd all get 31 million according to the contract, right? Yes. The fact that, that it doesn't add any value to the existing schools, all it's done is diluted your chance to win your conference. You know, it added this bloat. And what we've seen with Right. This is, you know, realignment 
whatever phase 97 right but real realignment phase 101 is going to be you know ohio state and michigan being like northwestern get the fuck out of here right like 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 florida state's already trying to do that with like boston college it's like yes how in the world are we getting the same amount of money this is ridiculous once we get the, the consolidation into three or four conferences then this bloat is going to be it, you know unless the master plan is like right because like the, the, today the the acc is like we're going to look at cal stanford and southern methodist it's like what the hell are you talking about unless it's like to get so much bloat that the bloat outweighs the teams of value that they can like vote them down i i honestly this idea that we just have to add teams so other conferences can't have them. Okay. I feel like that that's 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 going to come back to bite people. So 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 let me try to to hit two key points of that. So number one on the ACC thing. So apparently the appeal of SMU is simply that SMU is willing to come without much or any TV revenue distributions early in its tenure because SMU is like an entire school of just like rich people, right? Everyone at SMU is rich. It's donors are rich. Everybody's rich. There are all these like conservative white dudes in Dallas with lots of money. Right. So they're like, cool, whatever. Like we want to be a power conference school. You bring us in the ACC. We'll take, you know, whatever we'll take beans for the year. We'll take beans for five years. You can take the $30 million. That's like a pro rata amount that the ACC is required to get, for bringing in a school and you can divide that up amongst your members. You can use that to pay for travel. If you want to add Cal and Stanford, you can do that. You can take that and use that to help fund um, uneven revenue distribution. If you want to give Florida state more money and Clemson more money and help kind of narrow the gap, you can do with the money whatever you want. We just want to power five and we have the money to do. Now Cal and Stanford, that's like a, well, these schools are, are big brands. They're powerful. Let's just take them. And in turn, what we can do by adding Cal and Stanford is we can open up a fourth television window, right? So this is all about college football. College football games are generally played at four times during the day. They can vary, you know, within 30 minutes of these windows, but there's a noon window, a 3.30 window, a seven o'clock window, seven or eight o'clock window, and there's a 10.30 window, right? So ACC games, theoretically, ESPN is able to play ACC games at noon, 3.30 or eight. Right. Clemson has a game. We can put it at prime time. We can put it at noon. We can put it at 3.30. Right. Well, if the ACC has Stanford and Cal, then whenever Stanford and Cal are at home, which theoretically you'd have one of those home every week. Right. ESPN or the ACC network or ESPN2 or whatever. ESPN in its family would be able to play. You know, we can put Stanford versus Syracuse on it. 10:30 and Stanford versus Syracuse is not like an amazing game, right? Syracuse is is largely irrelevant in football. Stanford has struggled lately, but it fills windows of time that ESPN needs to fill. And college football games tend to rate pretty well, right? Like they'll they'll get a million people to watch that broadcast. They'll be able to sell that to advertisers, right? So there's there's a little bit of upside to that for 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 the ACC. So if the ACC can get a little bit more money for taking Stanford and Cal for pennies on the dollar, right? Because they would take them at a discount from the 30, 33 million pro rata or whatever it is. If they can, if they can, if they can coop up enough money 
from taking some combo of SMU, Cal, and Stanford and use that to keep their membership happy, then that's a, that's a win because the primary concern right now, as you said, is that Florida State, Clemson, and Miami, and to a lesser extent, potentially North Carolina, potentially Virginia, whatever, those schools are unhappy that they make not enough money to compete with the SEC, partially because that's the same amount of money as what Boston College makes, what Syracuse makes. Now that brings us to the next point, right? Which is the idea of unequal revenue sharing. So essentially how every conference for the most part in college sports has worked is everybody makes the same, right? You know, if you're in the big 10, 10 years ago and the TV revenue distributions were $10 million, right? Let's just say that's what it was. That didn't matter whether you were Rutgers, I guess Rutgers got came in lower, but you know, was always going to get to full. Right. It didn't matter if you were Rutgers or Ohio State, you made the same amount of money. Didn't matter if you were Northwestern or Ohio State, you made the same amount of money. Didn't matter if you were winning, you know, 12 games a year or three. Didn't matter if you were driving 10 million television viewers or 500,000, you made the same amount of money. You were part of the league, you were in it together. There had been certain instances in smaller leagues where uneven revenue distribution popped up, right? So the Mountain West gave Boise State a sweetheart deal back in the day to keep them happy. Gonzaga has a sweetheart deal with the WCC because those leagues were not really getting on linear television without those brands, right? So the league were willing to kind of concede that. But I don't think school members, you know, college presidents, boards, athletic directors at some of the smaller schools at the bigger leagues understand the precedent that they're setting by saying, yeah, we'll take Oregon and Washington at a discount. Because as you said, Brad, there will be, then the next step is consolidation, right? We first, we consolidate from five conferences to four. Then we, then Ohio State and Michigan sit around and say, well, what do we need to give Northwestern the same amount for? Well, there's some precedent already, you know, Oregon and Washington make it all. Why don't, when we have to give Oregon and Washington closer to a full share, we tell Northwestern and Purdue, they don't get the full, 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 full boat, right? Like that's where it's going, right? And that will anger people. And inevitably, again, I, I think where we're going at some point is that in three years, five years, 10 years, 20 years is a group of very serious football schools. And I, I don't know if that's 20, I don't know if that's 40, but it's Ohio State, it's Michigan, it's Alabama, it's Auburn, it's Georgia, it's um, USC, it's Oregon, right? Like it, it's a big group of schools like that across the SEC, the Big Ten, whatever coming together and saying and creating a kind of super league of sorts of college football where they play each other they pay their players it's an employment-based system the only thing that really stops us from getting to that is if the big 10 and the sec get to the employment stage first and they just say hey we're going to have our own leagues and fox and espn keep funding them but if one of those two entities or another television entity whether it's a streamer or a cable provider wants to come in and say, hey, like we're gonna give the world to own all the rights to the best of the best in college football. That's what's gonna happen. Now, what will that mean for basketball? Who knows, right? I think, I think there is a world somewhere in the future where basketball and football are grouped together, are grouped separately, right? And I think Brett Yormark, who's the commissioner of the Big 12, has spoken about this, at least in some kind of abstract form of like, we should sell our TV rights sport by sport, right? So the NCAA sells rights to 
the basketball turn men's basketball tournament separately from every other thing and they're starting to they're going to start grouping it up even less right Be- even smaller because the softball tournament's been a big hit and baseball's been a big hit and women's basketball's been a big hit we can sell these these have value on their own instead of packaging as one i do think that there's a world right i don't know if that world again is 2025 or 2030 or 2040 but i think there is a world where the big 12 sells basketball rights to espn and they sell football rights to Fox and they sell wrestling rights to flow hoops and they sell, you know, women, you know, softball rights to ESPN plus, right? Like the list goes on. I think that's a possibility, but as you said, the kind of the dirty little thing that no one's talking about is this, this looming, this looming world where, equal revenue sharing inside of a conference just goes away. And once you do that, I mean, you're fur- you're further kind of tearing apart how college sports works. And so what could complicate that is obviously in the past, it was all on linear. Correct. So we don't know exactly how the calculus works, right? But yeah, maybe Ohio State is worth, you know, most of the TV deal, or at least a outsized portion of the TV deal. Correct. But at the end of the day, we have four linear ESPN stations that need inventory. So, yeah, we want the whole conference because we, we want to put the Northwestern game on ESPN News and the Nebraska game on ESPN too, and fill our, you know, we, we have a finite amount of programming that we need. With streaming, there's no windowing. It, it, it's infinite. Right. Well, and, Which, and look, look at the, you can look at this from an ESPN talent standpoint, right? Like, if you follow what happened at ESPN with layoffs, with some of their biggest name talent, ESPN is now a network of stars, right? ESPN wants Mike Greenberg, Stephen A. Smith, Pat McAfee, etc on the air as much of the day as possible and does not care about having this like massive breadth of programming and this massive brand attached to it and it's hard not to believe that the same thing is going to happen with football right espn is going to pay an outsized amount of money to own the rights to alabama football but they're not going to care that much about vanderbilt and mississippi state at what point do schools sell their own rights right like what that's is that where we're going? I don't know. I don't, I don't know exactly where we're going, but I think I feel confident in saying that the landscape we're going to is everyone feeds themselves in some form or fashion. The biggest brands get the most money and we move from there. And also, I mean, so obviously ESPN is, is really hurting because yeah. so much of their revenue was tied to packaging fees or, um, I, it's, it's it's not called packaging, but the I understand whenever you sign up for cable, you pay ESPN like three dollars, whether you knew it or not. Um, and with every cable subscription that falls, and you know the peak cable I think was 2016, and since then cable's been in a nosedive. So that's less and less money that you're getting from cable subscriptions. Right. And then they're getting hit on the other end with you know people aren't going to AMC or FX or even the broadcast stations as much anymore to watch scripted content. The only thing that people want to watch live is sports, which means 
that's that's what the advertisers want to be advertising on, which drives up the cost of the sports rights. Like the new right. NBA deal is going to be massive. These college college football deals, right? The Big Ten, SEC, you know, they're massive. I mean, the ESPN so brought in two billion dollars in revenue with this ESPN bet deal with Penn that just was announced today. Want know what that's paying for? That's paying for the SEC and the NBA and Monday Night Football. Right. So you're getting at the same time less money because cable subscriptions are going down and the cost of your product, which is sports rights, are going up simultaneously. So they are just squeezed. Right. Well, and and look, at the end of the day, I mean, you can write many obituaries for the Pac-12, but the the true death of the Pac-12 is that ESPN ran out of money to spend, right? There was no reason to spend premium money for a non-premium product, which is Pac-12 Pac-12 football. That was that right. was so like so without ESPN at the table, without Fox, because Fox has some Big 12 and a lot of Big 10 inventory, and ESPN has a lot of SEC and some Big 12 inventory. They were like, we don't need you. We have ACC. We have some of the Big 12. We have all of the SEC. Why do we need to spend 30 more million dollars per school per year on, you know, having Arizona football? We just don't. We don't need the revenue, the, the inventory that bad. So that that left them squeezed. And, you know, I, I think that's coming for other other groups, too, when they hit the market. Right. There's just going to be not that much. There's There's only a finite amount of rights that each kind of group can, you know, stir up at, at some point. And then you look at, okay, well, why did, because I think a lot of people thought that the streamers were going to drive up the rights. Like we're going to have Amazon's a bidder, Apple's a bidder, Netflix is a bidder, but they're all hurting as well. Correct. Um, because streaming is just a money pit where like you're making these shows, these scripted shows that cost you know, in some cases, hundreds of millions of dollars. And not that many people are watching them at all. It's like uh, like every Amazon show, they're dumping hundreds of millions on, and no one's watching. Peacock hemorrhaging money. Disney Plus is slipping. You know, everyone except for Netflix is hurting. Um, and, and Netflix doesn't really need to pay all that for live sports. Like, they're the, they're the leader. Um and, and, you know, like like what you were saying with, like, there's just not enough money to go around. Like, I didn't understand. That's, that's kind of what I was saying with the bloat. Like, okay, I get why you'd want Oregon with their Nike and everything. But why do you want Washington, right? I get, at least from a basketball perspective, you think, you know, Arizona, huge brand. But, like, Utah? Like, really? I mean, maybe, maybe they're great at football. I, I have no idea. They're, no idea. they're good at football. No, I mean, look, like, quite frankly, quite frankly, though, Brad, Brad, I think, I think, I think the biggest reason the Pac-12 was so, or the Big 12, excuse me, was so interested in the four corner schools, was kind of like a rational, like, I think Brett Yormark kind of saw the writing on the wall of like, there's only enough room for four of us, right? And so it's kill or be killed, right? If we sit around, if we're complacent, we we sit with our 12 schools we may get eaten up by the ACC or by the Pac-12 or by the SEC, right? We need to get big. We need to be strength in numbers. We have a stable TV deal that works. And quite frankly, and we talked about this last week, I've said quite frankly like 12 times this podcast is ridiculous. Anyway, um, like if you're, if you're the Big 12, the reason they've been able to survive is everyone's on the same page. They're second tier. 
is what they are. The second te- the, 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 the Big 12 is Baylor and Texas Tech and Kansas and all these, you know, and, and, and Arizona State. None of these schools are competing for national championships in football, right? That's, that's the common thread. They all care about football, but they're not national championship contenders. And as long as they're not, they'll be all happily married together. The reason the ACC is not is because Florida State is sitting around, looking around and saying, we, we think we're as good as Georgia. We think we're as good as Alabama. We think we should be on that platform, and we're not. We're, we're hanging around with Boston College of Syracuse who are happy to be here, right? That doesn't work. So I think that's the reason for the bloat as much as anything. Now, And now, sorry, did you have anything else on the Big 12? I was just going to say we should kind of talk directly on the basketball front now. So I have a story coming out. I think it'll be out by the time um, this podcast hits apps about kind of the, 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 the impact on basketball in each of the respective leagues, right? So that Pac-12, Mountain West, Big Ten, Big 12, and kind of the, the holdovers, right? Or the leftovers, excuse me. So for the Big 12 in basketball, I think the – thing that people haven't realized yet is that the Big 12 bas- Big, Big, Big 12 basketball is worse today than it is a week ago. And then- Arizona State, Utah, even Colorado. That, it's just very blah. It's very like, like, what are we doing? Like, I guess Colorado's not even good at football. They haven't guess- been lately. Yeah. So I'll, I'll give you the numbers I tweeted out, and you can look up the tweet. Um, if you if you just search Big 12 from CBB underscore Central, you'll find it. Um, but I, I did the 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 10-year average Ken Palm, which obviously has its flaws, right? Like Houston's dragged down by the fact that they had two horrible years, like for years nine and ten, basically. But if you look at the the, the 16 team Big 12, Arizona's third in 10-year average Ken Palm behind Kansas and Baylor. Utah, Colorado, and Arizona State are 12th, 13th, and 14th out of 16. And UCF is 16th. BYU is 11th. So of the newcomers, you know, five out of eight are like anchors to this league, comparative to like what they've had. And then Houston, Cincinnati, Arizona are okay. So again, these are football moves. I, I, and, and for the record, like, I don't I don't actually think that weakening the Big 12 a little bit is a bad thing. We've talked about this, right? Like this league has chewed up and spit out really good coaches, right? Like Bruce Weber is not a Hall of Famer, but he's a very good coach. He went to an elite eight at Kansas State. He, you know, they won like they're if you look at their average Ken Palm again over the last 10 years, they're in like the top five of the league. But Bruce Weber got chewed up and spit out because he wasn't good enough. For, for this league where, you know, the, the, the new hires are going to the lead eight every year, right? Steve Prohm won 31 games at Murray State. He won the Big 12 tournament. He had a three-seed in the NCAA tournament at Iowa State. Iowa State is a good job. It's not a great job, right? Like, it's not it's not a given that everyone win there, right? There have been very few, if any, like, true bust coaches in the Big 12 over the last several years, right? Like, there – it is – it, it it has chewed up and spit out some of the best coaches in the sport and having a few more games that feel winnable, having a few more road trips that aren't like, you know, fighting tooth and nail. I don't think that's a bad thing for this league. I mean, look, I mean, the, the reason the league has like outshot everyone by a long shot in the conference rankings is because 
each of the last two years, you just couldn't hurt each other at all by playing playing conference games, right? Like the last two years, there hasn't been a team outside the top seventy um, in in Kenpo over the last over the last two seasons. Texas Tech last year was a bad team; they were sixty third. The year before, K State was like sixty fifth, and they got Bruce Weber fired. Like like this this has just been so it's so gritty. But I do think there's actually some benefit to this. And there's still no anchors, right? To be clear, Arizona State's not a bad basketball job. Utah's not a bad basketball job. Like, you can win there. Can you win at the level that, like, Big 12 schools expect? Maybe not. Um, if uh, I'll tell you what. If I was Bobby Hurley, if I was Craig Smith, I am pissing my pants right now. I am absolutely spooked. Right. Here's the thing, right? You're saying it's not a bad thing. But not a bad thing for what context? Like the Big Twelve will not be number one anymore in terms of analytics. Why won't it be? I mean, we we can take this year. I mean, look at look at the Big Twelve versus the SEC in terms of just talent, right? The UCF, um, BYU, Cincinnati, Oklahoma, Kansas State, West Virginia, they don't measure up to these middle, even kind of bottom ish teams. Well, but ish. And the ish, risk, the ish. risk you do run, and I think this kind of goes to your point, is what happens when you get like when you have a downturn like the ACC had, right? The ACC has these great brands at the top that have not really faltered, right? For the most part, North Carolina, Virginia, Duke have been North Carolina, Virginia, Duke. Louisville's had its weird downturn, but like Louisville's weakness, like Louisville could have had. NCAA tournament teams every year, and it wouldn't have changed the fact that the ACC would be perceived as down, right? Like, when you have this much bloat, you open yourself to, like, okay, everybody winds up down at the same time, and all of a sudden we're in, like, trouble, right? The ACC has been a bad basketball league the last couple of years because there just hasn't been a lot of help from these, like, middling jobs. And I think right now the Big 12 is in a better position than that, but there's a world where it becomes closer to that. I mean, the the old Big East benefited from having, you know, every year at the bottom was going to be DePaul, South Florida, Providence, Seton Hall, Rutgers, and maybe I'm forgetting one team. Um, but the, they, you know, that was the bottom every year, and that let Georgetown and Syracuse and UConn and everybody stay stay up up at the top. And you know, even the the new Big East has kind of almost developed in a similar way, where every year in the bottom, it's basically Georgetown, DePaul. St. John's, and then recently Butler, and everyone else is making the tournament every year. So maybe the Big 12 programs that are left could see a bump like that, where, like, there's never going to be a year, at least you wouldn't think, where Kansas State is, like, 38th in Ken Palm, and oh, they're 13 and 18, and they have no chance to make the tournament. Is that better or worse for the league? That's kind of in the eye of the beholder. But I, but I think you, you, you've, from a basketball perspective, from an analytics perspective, the Big 12 is not going to be the Big 12 with everyone just being rock solid in that top 65, as you were saying. So now we're saying, well, will that give more security to the teams in the kind of middle and the top? Yes, but they kind of already had that. You know, we, we got those, you know, what what I was calling him last year, like the tap on the shoulder, like all right, you know, enough's enough there, Bruce Bruce Weber, Steve Rome. But now it's just <laughs> going to be 
instead of those guys coming in 60th and getting fired, it's going to be Johnny Dawkins and Mark Pope and Bobby Hurley coming in 80th and getting fired. Yeah. So uh, my last thought on the Big 12 is I'm very curious to see how those jobs, the new Big 12 schools, and we have a chance to have a good amount of those open this year, right? So that's Arizona State for sure could. Utah, I don't think would in year three, but like it's not a completely out of the question scenario. Um, West Virginia is open. West Virginia is already open. UCF is open, is going to open. Um, Although they just got DeMar Lankford. Um, That'll save you. There's a good chance we'll have a good amount of turnover in the new Big 12, and I'm curious to see how those jobs are perceived, especially like, like, is UCF seen as like UCF or is it seen as a Big 12 job or is it seen as somewhere in the middle? Is is Utah seen as like a bigger challenge now that you can't, you know, it's going to be harder to win or is it seen as a better job because you have stability, right? It, it'll be interesting to see. Um, I mean, go, going through the whole league, right? We got West West Virginia is, is going to open. Oklahoma could. Cincinnati, probably not, but West, West Miller's got to start winning. Uh, Oklahoma would have to be pretty bad. Oklahoma State is actually still in the league. Oklahoma State, I think, would be like the sneaky one. Where like that could open if it's not good. Yeah, and then Central Florida, yeah. So. Could be um, um, and then just moving to the the pack four. Yes, let's go to the back. I mean, just what an unbelievable disaster this is. Yes. I mean, these guys. Uh, I know Gary Parrish was talking about okay, like their athletic departments that they, they have to like slash their spending and you know and like fire a bunch of people and everything. But from a strictly basketball perspective. Like these 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 coaches are going to be like double overpaid, right? Like Oregon State and Washington State can go to the Mountain West. A Mount like Ryan Odom and Nico Medved, they're they're not even making a million dollars, right? They're right around it, but yeah, you're correct. And so now we're going to have I I don't know exactly what Wayne Tinkle and Kyle Smith make, but I'm sure it's closer to two million. <laughs> Wayne Tinkle will be up to three million by 2027. They're 20, yeah, they gotta, if they could force majeure or something, but they gotta get that off the books. I mean, Caldas hired Mark Madsen, that's a brand new contract. It wasn't that expensive, to, though, Mark, I don't think. Maybe it was. And then Jared Haas, I'm sure, will take a pay cut. So, keep so, it rolling. so here, is, here, is, here is what I was gonna say about the, the four left. Number one, Wayne Tinkle is the winner because Wayne Tinkle now can't get fired. This is very funny. Ha ha ha. Yada yada. Number two, Stanford could be in a similar situation where not even that they can't afford to. Stanford has, Stanford will have money, right? I mean, quite frankly, I'll say this on the podcast. Yes. I probably shouldn't, but it's this. But I was told by a good source that a Stanford booster attempted to pay every single men's basketball player at Stanford a million dollars a year and was told no because they want it to be like equitable. Like if Stanford needs money, there's money to be had. Sure, I'm sure the basketball players were thrilled about that. Well, but I'm sure I'm sure Jared Haas was like spinning. But you're yeah. but, but my point being that like Stanford might just hold Jared Haas for now because like all right, like he knows this place, he can weather the storm, whatever. The hard thing in the very short term is like all these schools like have like how do they do anything? Like how does Cal recruit? Like Cal is trying to recruit some high level kids in twenty twenty four. Like they come to campus in two weeks, what do you say? 
Yeah, like yeah. Play somebody, you know. Maybe we'll be in the ACC. Who knows? Yeah. But and then we had that. I think she was an Arizona State softball player that was like, hold on, how about we don't make the move so my family can come watch me play softball? Yes. Like I, I couldn't. <laughs> it reminds me of um, the uh, story that. And I've said this on, on, on the pod before, but that e- Ethan Strauss told about like the coaches meeting, like maybe 2002 ish, uh, with, with uh, David Stern. And David Stern was telling the coaches that they're going to let cameras into the locker room. And Scott Skiles is like, uh, no, that's my sacred space. And he's like, well, on one hand, we have whatever, $100 million. And then hand, we have Scott fucking Skiles. Um, <laughs> That's, that's that was the thought going through my head when the softball girl was like, "Well, actually, I chose Arizona State to play in front of my family." You are 100 correct. Um, but yes, th- those four schools, quite frankly, like none of them are overly relevant to college basketball. Like Cal has like at least some like kind of striking upside here with Madsen. Stanford has the potential to be a good job if they ever let Stanford recruit players. Um, they being the administration. Uh, Washington State is a the worst Power Five job in America. Now I don't know what it is, but that's a hard job wherever it is. But Kyle Smith will like somehow wind up like 74th in Ken Palm. Uh, and then Oregon State is not a good job, right? So the impacts of this are like not that like not that major. And I, I quite frankly, I, I don't think that any of them really move the needle for any league that they join, right? Like right. if the state joins the Mountain West, it doesn't make the Mountain West like a five bid league if it was four before. It doesn't, you know, if, if if Stanford and Cal join the ACC, it doesn't fix the ACC's basketball problems. It doesn't, you know, if the, if they join the AAC, which I'm going to mention a little later when we get into to, to a little bit of the, the preview stuff, like it doesn't doesn't do anything, right? These schools are just kind of like irrelevant in the basketball conversation. Which again, the reason they're on the street is because in men's basketball and football, particularly in football, they're just having relevant. So, um. Yeah, none, none of those four schools move the needle for the Mountain West from a basketball perspective. I'm sure they do for football. But. Stanford, I think, probably would. A little bit. Um, I will say it was very funny. So the Mountain West, there was a report by Dennis Dodd of CBS, whose reporting has been somewhat dubious in the past. So I, 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 I hesitate to credit him the same way or, or, or to, to um, aggregate his reporting the same way I would with a Pete Thamel, Pat Forty, um, you know, Ross Dellinger, et cetera, guys who I think I really respect. Nicole Auerbach as well from the Athletic, Bruce Feldman. Um, people like that. I, I don't quite get to the same level with them, but with, with Dodd. But Dodd reported basically that San Diego State was attempting to, like, create its own conference. Like, hey, we'll take the Pac-4 plus us plus, like, a couple schools from the American and a couple schools from the Mountain West. We'll make, like, a real West Coast power league. And everyone else was like, sorry, dude, it's like, we don't really care about you. But San Diego State feels like very, like, deeply unhappy with its current arrangement. And I don't really understand why. Like, its football team is generally good. It's not, like, great, but I don't see how being in another league is going to, like, material change, materially change that. They've won 10-plus games in five of the last eight years in football. And in basketball, San Diego State just went to a national championship game. I can't really remember a time, maybe in, like, there was one year where they were like kind of close, but there's never been a time where Senior State like wasn't going to get in the tournament. And then, you know, you know like they, they got snubbed because of being in the Mountain West. Like they, 
the Mountain West is a multi-bit league comfortably. Wherever they'd be going might not be. Like I don't I don't quite understand what San Diego State's like deep dissatisfaction is rooted in. Can you, can you imagine if they paid the thirty million dollars to join the Pac-12 and then it imploded like that? Brutal. Uh, that would have been crazy. Um, the oh, only thing, one of the more interesting things, sorry, in knowledge, is that the Pac-12 is getting exit fees from all these schools. Like the Pac-12 is going to be sitting on like a four hundred million dollar war chest to kind of like do what they want with. Oh, oh, I thought I saw that that there were no exit fees because the TV contract was expiring. There's still some sort of money that they have. There's like four hundred million dollars somewhere. I don't know how it's, where it's coming from, but there's like four hundred million dollars. And then just the last re- realignment thing I want to touch on, because it seems like UConn's staying put. Yes. Um, so that, that means the Big East is at 11. I, I think the Big East has to add Gonzaga. That just, you know, I, I've seen different fans on Twitter being like, add VCU, add Dayton. Like, shut up. Not adding Dayton and VCU. I saw somebody say Cal. Like, get the fuck out of here. I'm not adding Cal. <laughs> We're going to add Gonzaga. I think this is the most F-bombs that Brad has ever dropped on the podcast. This is excellent. We, we Okay, the, the Big East has, has a TV deal coming up in two years. We just talked about the fraught nature of TV deals. And we're going to say you're going to add Cal? Anyway, so the, adding the Zags, they put them at 12. And then when the ACC inevitably splits, obviously Duke is a no-brainer. Syracuse is pretty close to an no-brainer, unless Adrian Autry just tanks him. In in the meantime, that 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 puts you at 14. Would a Louisville be one of the football schools that gets a greener pasture? I think so. Yes. All right. Um, the other two, I don't know, but maybe like NC State and Virginia Tech. There you go. That's that's a huge huge win. What about Pittsburgh? I would consider Pittsburgh. They got the history. Right. They they were in, in the Big East previously. I just don't know if they're going to be good this year. Oh, I agree. The the rosters look, look a little shaky. I was looking at the roster say. Their front court looks good, but the, the back court, the, 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 a lot of riding on Ishmael to get there from uh, URI. Um, but, yeah, I, I would consider Pittsburgh. Uh, Boston College is an absolute non-starter. If anyone says Boston College, I'm going to scream at you. Um, they are so screwed. They're 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 more screwed than Washington State and Oregon State. They're just you know riding out the meantime with these thirty million dollar checks. But um, right there's there's no East Coast equivalent of like the Mountain West, right? Like the the Sun Belt's not going to take them. Conference USA, the American, right? Like why would you want them? They, the American take them. They're an End up in the Mac. Why wouldn't the American take one if they have Temple? The same thing. Maybe I'm. Am I underrating Boston College football? Um. Uh, no, it's like Temple. Okay, I, I guess they can go to the American then. But. Anything else on realignment, or should we should we talk a little bit about top 100 and some other stuff before we wrap this one up? Should we talk on Nebraska? We can talk Nebraska. Was that the only other player move? Is there one other? Oh, the Quez Glover thing. We can talk Quez Glover quickly. But how about how about Fred 
Fred Hoiberg's feeling good about his starting point guard, and then he gets the, <laughs> the news. Uh, he's been in, been a little in a little bit of gambling. Fred Hoiberg, uh, well, how much gambling? Oh, just like 2,000 wagers. That was the number, right? It wasn't like 1,800 wagers they made? He had a lot of games. No, just 1,800. I wonder if he or I have bet more. 1,800 is a lot. I mean... I'm guessing I'm a little lower than that. Yeah. Well, I guess it depends. It's I, mean, I, I, I guess, I guess real, real gamblers are betting everything. They're betting swimming and yeah. water polo. They're betting like 100 things a day. So they're not um, just sitting on like three college basketball lines. Correct. Um, I, I was most impressed by the fact that Nebraska lost Aaron Ulis while overseas. And then while still in Europe, recruited and signed Boogie Coleman from Ball State. Now, Boogie Coleman is not that good. We talked about this on the last show, but he's better than a, better than the alternative. So for that, I salute you. This is going to be a big, long switch of a lineup, but talent-wise, they, you know, this is 11, 12, 13 in the Big Ten. Is 14 position locked for Minnesota? I think so. Is there anyone else? I'm trying to think, like... Penn, Penn State could be bad, but, but, but they have a very good point guard. So... So I have this lineup as Boogie Coleman, Casey Tominaga, Bryce Williams, Juwan Gary, Rink Mast, with Jamarcus Lawrence off the bench, and C.J. Wilcher, and Josiah Alley. There's just not a lot that jumps off the page. Tominaga did have a great year down the stretch, but I would tend to agree. I think this is 13. I think Penn State's 12. I think Minnesota's 14. I think 11 is... Oh, might be Rutgers. Rutgers could like defense their way into this. That's true. Into like an NIT. Basically. I would think eleven is probably Rutgers or Iowa. Or what about North- Michigan? Uh, Michigan, yeah. I guess Michigan's recruiting some Chuko kid who shot fifty-two percent from three and looks like me. <laughs> His name is Kobe Campbell. They call him the Red Mamba. That's that. And anyway, and uh, on BYU, I guess I guess Quez Glover is NIL hunting, so he's off to anywhere. According but... to Trilly, it was NIL discrepancies. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. We'll see. Dallin Hall finally gets their point guard. Yeah, it could be. I mean, Dallin Hall goes to point starting point guard at BYU, and Quez can go somewhere a little more relevant. But this makes this BYU team a little worse. I mean. This team, again, in the WCC, it'd look okay, but in the Big 12, starting Dallin Hall, Dawson Baker, Jackson Robinson, Ficini Treor, and Ali Khalifa feels quite uh, quite underwhelming. There's no, there's no athleticism there. They're, they're going to get beat up. In, and they're not in, that skilled. It's the thing. It's like if they were like super elite shooters, if they had Barcelo out there, it'd be one thing. But even though you hated Barcelo. But. He came on down the stretch. That last year, right? He averaged like 20 a game or something. Um, but we 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 glossed over Rutgers 
They got Austin Williams, a seventh-year transfer. Bad player, by the way. We're we're gonna run out of seventh years. We gotta really embrace these guys. Bad player. He was he was on the Hartford team that you bullied their coach into quitting. Then he was at FIU. He didn't play last year. Now he's playing for Rutgers. Will play like eight minutes a game. He's a good defender. Yeah, doing doing glue guy stuff. He's very athletic, but Doesn't, he. He has no real game. So they apparently they like this freshman Jamichael Davis, but every year, every year Rutgers has like an unranked freshman freshman guard that gets really hyped up, and sometimes that freshman guard is uh, Derek Miller, and sometimes that freshman guard is or not Derek Miller, what was Jalen Miller, and sometimes the freshman guard is Geo Baker, you know, and Derek Simpson is somewhere in between. Was there anything else? I mean, the we got Alexis Yetna at a Fairfield, which we'll see yeah. if he's healthy. Right. But it sounds like January for him. So oh my God. People, no one wanted to spend any money on on him as a transfer, given they weren't even sure when he'd be healthy. So Fairfield was like, "We'll give you fifty grand," and he was like, "All right, cool." He, he he's been out for like three years. He's an every other year guy. This is an even year. It's even year Yetna. I like him when he's healthy, except he, he shoots too many jumpers. But like when he's around the rim, he's he's good. He's a force. Um, lefty. The three guys left on the board, at least to my knowledge, Malcolm Dandridge, who I'm telling you, I didn't realize that this is last year. He's gonna um, sign with the Knicks if we let him stick yeah. around longer. I I can kind of empathize with him, right? This is last year, and it's like. Oh, West Virginia, I'd be a backup to Jesse Edwards. Memphis, I'd be a backup to Jordan Brown. You know, like, everywhere he's going, it's like, oh, St. Louis, they're mid-major. You know, he he waited too long. Like, I'm sure there's a million teams that would rather have him than the guy they ended up taking. Like, you think Seton Hall would rather have Malcolm Dandridge than Jaden Bediaco? Like, probably. But you got to take guys at some point. Um, so we got Dandridge out there. We got Quez Glover. We got Meadows from Cal decommitted. Um, and then we got this Lee Ayala guy who had a big U19 with Argentina. Yes. He, he's I, a big I also, I also believe there are some other international names that have still yet to commit. Uh, I was told there is a relatively – like notable international kid who is going to commit to Gonzaga here in the next couple of weeks. Is he a guard? I don't know. All I know is international Gonzaga. And then we have Mac Etienne, who's actually between two sensible schools of DePaul and, and LaSalle, both teams that like really need a center. You know, they would, they would kill to have another big, both those teams. So we'll see where he ends up. Um, I think that's all we had in terms of. Oh, and then uh, U- UCLA finally put a Dave Moran and Burkay on the, you know, put them in ink. Um, so that's a fascinating team. We touched on them a little bit last week. But. And then we got uh, a Cook a Cook rumors that he's bailing from Georgetown. Yeah, 
there's going to be a few more like trickly down things, but for the most part, I think we're we're, we're running out of time. Huh? We're running out of time. It's all Correct. Correct. Boy, that 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 Georgetown roster looks worse by the day. It's weird. I was doing my Big East. I was starting to like mock it out a little bit, and I was like, I kind of want to rank them eighth over Seton Hall and Butler, but like. It's getting harder roster-wise to to feel confident in that. I have them ninth right now, but I'm I'm thinking about flipping them on Butler. Well, you love Seton Hall. I think I think that they'll be just as good as they were this past year. I think like exactly the same. I just want to have some Cooley respect, but also there. Like, yeah. yeah, I know. So do I. But like, this is not Cooley team. Yes. Like there's there's not you know. I guess Dontrez Styles is kind of coolie-ish, but like a cook a cook and Jay Heath, you know, these aren't really coolie guys. Um, you wanted to talk. Uh, the only other thing on like kind of standings wise, we talked last week about how Wichita State looked kind of shaky. Um, I just or I I, I just. I, I, I tried to do like a one through fourteen in that league. I don't think I realized how bad it is. Like yeah. Memphis is going to roll these teams. I don't I don't even know if Memphis is a tournament team. I think it is. If if no DeAndre, you're saying I assume? Yes, yeah. Like, their whole foreign trip, like, they didn't have David Jones, but they, they were starting Nick Jordan. Jaquan Walton is, like, he was treated as, like, the star, of, you know, one of the stars of the team. He was playing, like, the whole game in these trips. But, but like, let me let me kind of cut, cut through this real quick, and then we'll touch on top 100 and get out of here. So, FAU should be good, right? FAU should be a top 25 team. Yes, maybe they've been a little overrated, whatever, but they're old. They were good in the tournament. They have – they beat multiple power five teams. They're talented enough. They have a good coach. Boom. Memphis should be pretty good, right? Mem- Memphis should not suck, right? Even if they, as you said, even if they're at this point, maybe they're, you know, bubbly. Um, worst case. But best case, they have Javon Quinterly, Caleb Mills, David Jones, J. Con Walton, Jordan Brown. Like, they have all these guys coming in and out. They should be better later. Those two teams are, are, are very good. Then you have a couple of teams. I, I'd say probably, depending on your tiers, you know, between two and five teams that are like somewhat interesting right so the two i think you kind of have to consider at least interesting are uab which has eric Gaines back brings in james white brings in barry dunning um they've they've just recruited at a pretty high level under andy kennedy he's a good coach he's proven whatever i don't think they're a tournament team i don't think they're all that close quite frankly they weren't at large good last year uh and now they're 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 the worst roster on paper um but you know they should be competitive and then SMU, I think, is right there, too, with Zurich Phelps back, Samuel Williamson back, add Chuck Harris, B.J. Edwards, Denver Anglin, and Tyreek Smith. I think that's, like, at least, like, kind of, that's that's interesting enough. Then you have, below them, these are the things that, like, could be in that group. Tulane, which loses um, their kind of straw that stirs the drink in Jalen Cook. South Florida, which is a completely new team, but basically is Kennesaw 2.0. Kennesaw was like 120 in Ken Palm last year. Um, and then North Texas, which is 
a completely new team, but a good program, a good culture, and they have some like good high major down transfers, Rondell Walker, CJ Nolan, whatever. After that, it gets dicey. Like that Wichita team we talked about is really bad last week on paper. East Carolina at least has Bobby Pettiford and Cam Hayes, but Cam Hayes might not be eligible. Um, Rice was 199 last year and kind of runs it back. Adds Noah Shelby from Vandy. Tulsa was a wreck of all wrecks and at least adds a lot, but like still I think the ceiling is probably like 150. Charlotte shouldn't be good. Temple is, you know, no size. And then UTSA is a, is a like, there's so much dead weight. Like, like these teams are going to run it up. I think the only team that has a prayer in that bottom group is East Carolina. And that would be because Ezra Ozar yeah. had a great freshman year in the front court. This, and then you're going to have Bobby Pettiford and Cam Hayes in the backcourt. That's very boomer bust. If, if, if that's the Bobby Pettiford and Cam Hayes that we saw at their last stops, they're going to have trouble to score. But if they're the high school versions, then you know, that could be a really interesting back. And that's an unproven coach, too, Michael Schwartz. No Division One experience outside of as a, as a head coach. You know, he's a career assistant. We haven't seen it yet. So, and they, if they had brought back the kid – What's his name? Javon Small, who's at Oklahoma State. If they had brought him mm-hmm. back and added Pettiford or whatever, I'd be like, all right, like let's let's roll the dice. I just think there's not enough back. And like like if Tulane brought Jalen Cook back, I'd be like, all right, this is interesting enough. Like this seems okay. They have Jalen Forbes, they have Kevin Cross, they have Sion James who's a good role player, and they added Colby King from St. John. They had Asher Woods, who was all freshman in the SoCon at, at BMI. But there's just not enough there. Like the, all these teams are like way short. They're one or two short instead of like a, you know, maybe a piece. Like they're two pieces short. So it, it's gonna be interesting. And this league is probably better than the A10. Uh, I think the bottom has more reasons for belief in the A10. There's more teams you can talk yourself into in the bottom, of the, in the middle, in the middle bottom of the A10, like the five through ten range of the A10. You could talk yourself into the best day for like the Loyolas and George Masons being better than the best days of like East Carolina and Wichita. But I think mm-hmm. that's just like kind of where in the rebuilds each one is. Really brutal. Um, you want to talk about a little bit? Sorry, what you saying? You wanted to talk top 100 a little bit? Yeah. So I I watch during the season probably at least three hours of basketball a day. And I am wolf. I, I have, I'm stranded in, in the middle of the ocean here. I have no idea how to parse these guys out. I think – Probably the toughest thing about this year's top 100. Now I'm not even close to being done. I got my guys I want to be in the top 100. I got like 25-ish guys I got in like the bullpen. I'm I'm trying to put them in a rough order, then I can move them around. But so obviously at the top, the so so the top is very small. Right. Right. So, you have so, Edie. You have, go on. 
I was just going to say, there's just not a lot of star power outside of the bigs who are stuck here, right? If you're a star in college basketball, you generally moved on. Right. And so what we have is we have a ton of bigs that put up monster numbers. Guys like Tolu Smith and Cliff Amore and Joel Soriano and even like Oso. You know, we have a ton of bigs that put up like 14 and 7. Like Brandon Carlson from Utah, Eric Dixon from Nova, right? So it's kind of hard to parse those guys. And then you're doing okay, this big got monster stats versus you know how how do you compare Janai Broom and Riley Kugel, right? You know it, it's just being so difficult. And then it's also compounded with the freshmen don't really pop. And so I looked at last year. So, so first I was like, you know, I, I, I think 10 freshmen is a safe number. But then, you know, some of the freshmen that are getting the most buzz, you know, like Caleb Foster, like Jared McCain, you know, how much of those, are, how much of those guys are even going to play, right? Rob Dillingham's a five-star who might not play a ton. So then I'm looking at last year's top, you know, the, the 24-7 rankings of high school recruits. And I'm looking at my like, probably only like six of these guys would even be considered to be top 100 players last year. Brandon Miller obviously being the, the breakout star. I'm like, I got nine here and what's supposed to be a worse class. Like, what are we doing? You know, and then there, there, there are a couple other guys who, who've gotten buzz like Jamie Kaiser, Garway, Deshaun Harris Smith, but they're, they're ranked too low to just kind of throw them in there. Agreed. So I got like nine guys. I got like, I have no idea what to do with Jacoby Walter and Stefan Castle and Ade Marat and, 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 and all those guys. I'm just, I'm, I'm completely lost. So I think that really, again, outside of bigs, you have this kind of group of guards that are, most of them are all flawed, right? Like Boo Boo is a flawed player. Jameer Young is a flawed player. Um, Tyler Kolick is a you know biggest player of the year but he's still like a flawed player like it doesn't feel right that he's like a top five player in the sport i also right. have 20 big east players in my it top feels a little high it feels a little high oh i i i had my whatever final 27 for four spots and i'm like i really want to put tristan newton in here but like he's gonna be like number 18 big east player yeah i sent it off to you you're like yeah put in cam spencer tristan newton i was like I have 20 dudes here. <laughs> so I'm trying to think of who, so who is your highest rated non, I don't know if you have a flushed out list yet or you just have the hundred players, but do you have a sense of who your highest rated non forward would be? It would be either Tyrese Proctor or Riley Kugel. Okay. So you're just saying whatever breakout NBA buzz. If if not them, right, the other kind of guards in that area, you know, Trey Alexander, Judah Mintz, uh, I, I guess you'd say Ryan Nemhard, Tyson Walker, Justin Moore, um, R.J. Davis, if you feel a bounce back. So uh, Boogie what Ellis, Isaiah that? Collier. But, what about yeah. Terrence Shannon? Yeah, Terrence Shannon would be like, I would like, like, as high as those guys, maybe up there. 
But so Terrence Shannon was seventeen five and three on a tournament team last year, and he's coming back. Like, I think I put him in the thirties, but very, very, very tentative start. Like it was literally like, kind of all, like that, that. That feels like a guy who's probably being a little overlooked by a by a by a thing like this. Um, right. Like I I I was able to get like the first eight guys down, and then I just started working backwards, and I got like twenty guys, and then I'm like, well. This looks weird now because I have like Jamal Shedd at 60 and I have Steven Ashworth at 86. And then I'm like, I just got to fill in these guys and then move them later. But I go on. Well, I, I, think, I think the problem you run into, right, is that almost every guard who's there is either, as you said, a breakout guy. So a Kugel, a Tyrese Proctor, or they're a flawed player in some form or fashion, right? Terrence Shannon's not a great shooter. Um, you know, Boo Booey is not boo boo struggles to shoot the ball he's not super efficient um you know kolik had his he has issues whatever like the, you're just not getting like an elite like there's there's not a lot of elite guards in the sport um i do think the production thing matters which is why i would be a little higher on shannon a little lower on like a kugel or a or a tigers proctor right I guess, I guess the way i view it is like if you're ranking riley kugel as a top 15 player in the sport there's no room to go nowhere to go but down right like like if you think Riley Kugel is a top 20 player in college basketball and he averages 14 points a game in Florida is like a, you know, 28th in the country, then, you know, he had a massively disappointing year. And I don't, I don't think that's probably the reality, right? Proctor, I at least understand a little bit because he's a you know, more clear pro, but it's, but it's like, hard. You, you have some guys in the back where it's like statistically – you could probably just put them in there, but like they're just not going to be top 100 players. Like you just know it. Like Dante yeah. Scott from Maryland, Casey Morsell from NC State, Hakeem Hart from Villanova. It's like yeah, you could, you know, Hakeem Hart went to the G League camp. You know, Dante Scott could take a step. Casey Morsell is probably the best player on NC State, but you're just looking at him like it's just not going to. Uh, Josiah James from Tennessee. It's like we've we've been here too many times before. It's not going to happen. Top two hundred definitely. Top one fifty probably. But there there's there there are ceiling is in his eye. It's hard to rank the role players, right? Yeah. Like Tristan Newton, you can rank because there's a world where Tristan Newton averages like fifteen five and five this year at UConn. I don't yeah. think that's the best world for UConn. Like I think if Tristan Newton's fifteen and five and five, either UConn is like another wagon or they're like kind of severely disappointing. Like I don't think there's a world where UConn meets its expectation by Tristan Newton being 15 and five and five. And then kind of also doing this exercise, there are a few teams that I have like, I, I probably had their whole starting lineup in my like initial 150 guy consideration, like UConn, like Texas, Kentucky, Creighton, um, Duke, you know, some of these lineups really stand out. Even like Villanova's lineup, you know, there, there, there are some teams where it's like, wow, every guy in the starting lineup is like really good. Yes, I, I, and I, I think there are some value. There's value in doing, like you said, there's value in doing the exercise. Um, it is a very flawed thing. It shouldn't be taken overly seriously. But, like, you do need to, like – like, I, there is learning to be had when you really sit down and realize that there's 
you know, it's 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 well within the range of outcomes that Justin Moore is the best guard in college basketball. And if Justin Moore is the best guard in college basketball, and they also have Tyler Burton, TJ Bamba, um, Hakeem Hart, Lance Ware, and Eric Eric Dixon, then that's like a top 15 team, right? And that's those are the types of things you kind of remind yourself when you go through through a thing like this, right? Like it's very easy to knit. We we sit here all the time, right? The 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 the, the, the crux of this show in many ways is like us sitting here looking at a roster and pointing out the holes, right? We sit here, we open up the Big East, we stare at Providence, and we say, well, Providence has an inexperienced backcourt, and um, you know, at the, at the one and the two, they have some some question marks as to how how those guys will fit, and they have a new coach, right? And then we pivot and we say. Seton Hall doesn't have a ton of talent, but they've got toughness and defense, and they've got a very good guard in Kadari Richmond. And St. John's has, you know, this incredible depth, but you know, don't don't necessarily have a proven point guard and so many new pieces to to integrate in one, right? We just go through and we we poke the hole in every single team, right? And at some point, you just have to evaluate what you have, and it's hard to do that when you're so programmed to think of what what everyone doesn't have. And I do think the top top 100 is a is a good exercise in evaluating who has what. And, and if you'll oblige me really quick, sure. So I have like the 20 biggies dudes. Sure. If 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 you let me ru- roll through them, and you can kind of be like, whoa, 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 you have this guy in the top 100, like get out of here. Let's do it. All right, Tristan Newton. I voted for him to be in. So. I'm- and, yes. and and Cam Spencer, um, yes. Stefan Castle. Uh, yeah, I think he probably. If you're gonna have ten freshmen, I think Stefan is probably one of those ten. Uh, Klingon, obviously, right? You love Klingon. What about Caravan? I I cut him. I, I cut him at that 150 mark. Man, I, it doesn't I feel like Caravan's their worst starter, but. See, like that, that, that makes you rethink UConn a little bit. Like this team might just be freaking nasty again. It's possible. And then moving to Villanova, yeah, I had Justin Moore, Tyler Burton, and Eric Dixon at the back. I think the the Burton one is a good example of like if he was still at Richmond, everyone would rank him there. No questions asked. And at Villanova, people will be like, oh, I don't know, you know. He's just another guy, but you kind of have to. You, uh, the, but that's a good argument for why you have to limit the mid-major players in these things. Right. And then Bamba and Hart, I had in my bullpen in my, you know, probably top, you know, between 101 and 150 somewhere. Uh, Xavier, I I had no one even in my top 150. I think the closest obviously would be Fremantle and McKnight. I'm surprised at Fremantle. I'm not a Fremantle guy. He is a guard. He's like he, he he's not one of these huge imposing centers. He's just kind of like making push shots around the rim and stuff. But um, I still think that Xavier's a tournament team. But they lack that top end talent, and it's it's re- really apparent doing this. Uh, no one for Seton Hall. Yeah. Creighton, four dudes: Ashworth, Alexander, Shyman, and Cockbrenner. Hard to argue any of those guys being in there. And Alexander and Cockburn are super high. Even do. 
Sorry, what was that? Who would the cut even be? Well, I mean, Ashworth, but he was a, he put up monster numbers on NCAA tournament. Team, definitely right? not. If anything, I would cut Shireman. But the numbers say he has to be there. Marquette, three guys, Colette, Cam Jones, and Oso. With the potential that Joplin will be there by the end of the year. I mean, he could lead them in scoring. Right. <laughs> it's probably going to be Cam Jones. But, um, he could be a leading scorer. I mean, t- there's a real chance that David Joplin is the leading scorer on like a top top 10 team this year and just kind of flying under the radar. But Georgetown, nobody. But I think there's a non-zero chance that Jay Neps leads the conference in scoring. I do love this take. Yeah, you just you like cool, when 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 Cooley has a depth issue, he plays the best players literally the whole game. He did it with Bryce Hopkins this year. He basically did it with Devin Carter this year. He did it with Al Durham last year when he was healthy. He's, he's done it dating back to his very first year where they played six dudes and four of them forty minutes a game. Uh, Jay Neps is going to play the whole game. He is like the only guy who can reliably create a shot he might put up 20 and 4 this year i think i think that would be bad for georgetown but yeah all right anyone else we have on this list um butler nobody DePaul nobody um st john's i did soriano and dingle that's fair. Dingle be like a should be here if he was a if he was at a mid major he'd have to get ranked. I uh, put him way way in the back, but yeah. you know like in the nineties, but twenty points a game back to back years and probably average what fourteen ish on the St John's team. Yeah. And then uh, obviously Hop and Carter. Was was Posh in consideration? No. no come on. Are you you're out on Posh, correct? I've never been in on Posh. I was in on him like as an overachieving freshman, and then people were like, "Oh my God, he's better than Shim Penny. And I was like, "This yeah. has got to stop." Like, yeah, I, he's I, a I, below average Big East starting point guard. I think to answer the question though, from from the initial point of read the twenty, I think all the guys you listed feel like true like upper echelon players in the league, right? And upper echelon players in college basketball generally. So I think you did a good job. Yes, that's 20 dudes, and I only had like 12 from the Big 12. I didn't, I didn't count every conference, but like on, on, under scrutiny, like Bryce Thompson fell off. I thought his numbers were a lot better than he actually was. I think that's probably a good move. I don't like Bryce like Thompson. That team wasn't, wasn't that good. Um, only had one Baylor guy, Jalen Bridges, I had in my kind of bullpen there. Um, nobody from Texas Tech. I do, I do like Pop Isaacs. I cut Dylan Mitchell because he's never going to score. I, I cut Shedrick because he's not going to score. I think Pop Isaacs is probably a guy that you should find a way on. I think the breakout potential is too great. Like, what is he's, the difference numbers-wise between him and Riley Kugel? Pop Isaacs versus Ri- Riley Kugel? I no, bet, I, bet Isaacs scored more. Yeah, I test. I agree. It's Kugel, but. Well, because he's an NBA prospect. Yes. You got to figure if the draft guys are signaling that the Kugel's guys are overrating top. Riley Kugel right now, in my opinion. But we we got to grasp on something to di- differentiate whether it's G League Combine performance or yes. 
U19 or, you know, we got to find something to differentiate here. I had the two Houston guards. I had only Jesse Edwards on West Virginia. No one on Oklahoma. I didn't go Uzan. I think that's too big of a jump. Too big of a jump, yeah. Um, I did Perry and Tomlin for Kansas State. People love Tomlin. And people yeah. love Perry even more. And North Texas was awesome. Oh, Kaluma, though. Kaluma, I did bullpen. He's too he's too sporadic. I don't like Kaluma. Um, but that that made me think a little a little more positively about Kansas State that they could have two top 100 players. Um, obviously, no one BYU. Iowa State, I just did Omaha Blue. Yeah, no no one Oklahoma State. No one TCU, but. I mean, no, no one there really jumps out. It's like a, you know, Uday will be good, Miller will be good, but like, I'm not losing any sleep over anyone on TCU. But yeah, talent in, in in the Big Twelve, a little down. Not a portal. Yeah. Anything else? I think we're good. Cool. All righty, folks. Let's uh. Let's keep plugging towards the month of September. It starts the start of fall sports and college college athletics. Get some of the international trip teams home next week and overreact to that. See you all then.